Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second and last part of our episode with the thought leader group of TIS, the Treasury Intelligence Solutions Company. This group is composed of Jurg Wimmer, John Packets, and Nicolas Christian. Jurg was the former head of Treasury at SAP before he founded TIS, went to the position of CEO, and is now the Chief Strategy Officer. John is the vice president uh, at TIS and thrives on the US markets. And Nicolas founded Cashforce, the cash flow forecasting tool that you may have heard of. Cashforce was purchased by TIS in June 2022, and since then, Nicolas is their chief communication officer. In the episode of today, expect to learn what are the areas treasurers intend on investing in the coming years according to a survey launched by TIS. The uprising need for more and more frequent and reliable cash flow forecasting tools and techniques, fraud prevention and its importance in the corporate world today, and much more. Like always, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. It helps us a lot as this is how platforms rank all the podcasts out there. On top of that, it allows us to invite more and more amazing people like those three. So please take the time and leave us a review if you enjoy it. Last but not least, if you would like to reach out to them, our guests, um, Jörg, John or Nicholas, or check what TIS does, we have put all the links in the description below the episode. With all that being said, please welcome Jörg, John and Nicholas. Linking back this talents and uh, technology-enabled treasury, we would like to understand also from your point of view and looking at you, John, here maybe, what will drive the treasury technology investment decisions uh, during 2023 and forth, right? Because investment, especially in treasury technology, is like multiple years investments and developments and go to markets and so on. What's your view here? Yeah, it's interesting. We actually launched a, a survey recently that asked a, a very similar question. And, and it seemed like what people were looking to invest in was, you know, first of all, cash management, you know, like we talked about before, very important topic for the community, as well as payments. Payments was another area of heavy emphasis. And, you know, in terms of what they're going to use for their selection criteria, we actually asked that question as well. And, you know, it seemed like the most sort of important criteria for people were support for modern analysis technologies, things like AI and machine learning, right? As well as support for more modern banking protocols, things like open banking APIs for one, but also some of the interesting things that Swift is doing, like, you know, Swift GPI, for instance, is, is, a, is definitely a, a very interesting point for the market. So it's, you know, to be a provider that's going to serve that, you need to be able to really juggle and, and manage all those different protocols and technologies and things like that too. But it seems like from the market perspective, this isn't necessarily driven from the point where people believe these technologies are fully mature now, ready to go, ready to drive their processes. It's more so that they want to make sure they're getting on the right train, right? They don't want to sort of adopt technologies that are going to be viewed as legacy, partner with providers that they view as legacy technology. They want to be with the more innovative companies, those that are going to help them sort of understand the use cases there and help them along their journey towards adoption of these technologies. And so... You know, the technologies are there today. There are use cases, uh, obviously, but, you know, for companies, particularly upper mid-market companies, enterprise level companies, they're favoring much more 
global standardization of processes, automations, controls, consistency of data, right? And with this sort of varied, you know, ad adoption of things like open banking APIs between a company's whole banking portfolio, if you look at a company that uses 30, 40, 50 banking relationships globally to manage the cash management structure, there's no way to get that consistency yet. But there are use cases there that people want to explore, you know, things like real-time cash management, and they want providers to help them do that. And that's exactly sort of what we're trying to do at, at TIS as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Jörg, maybe a question for you. So we talk about open banking, AI, APIs, real-time, so the adoption overall of the, all those advancing technologies. Do you see any particular treasury function or um, domain that is really benefiting from all this we talked about cash management obviously that is at the core priorities but anything else like fraud detection for instance or what what do you see on the markets yeah at the end it's uh, the office of the cfo which benefits from a better data analytics which benefits from actionable uh, data insights so think about the scenario where you have within your office of the cfo a data lake which consists not only all historic cash flows, so once again, the lifeblood of your company, but also expected cash flows, cash forecasts, short, medium, and long-term. And on top of that, you have in that data lake available, let's say you're working capital fibers and you can drill down into, for example, individual invoices. This is a massive gold mine of data, right? And this can be leveraged not only in the, in, to, to make a, a treasure successful and whatever, to boost his individual career. No, this is a relevant data lake for the office of the CFO. Um, and all players will benefit. AP teams um, uh, will, will benefit uh, because the process is clean end-to-end. From a secure ERP environment, you generate the payment run, you orchestrate your banking portfolio from a technical perspective through a cloud a platform. TIS, in that case, makes your life easier. EP, they have there on a daily basis, their bank account statements available. Controllers can drill down into to wiggle cash flow uh, conversion performance KPIs. Uh, so you hopefully you see the picture. By the way, in, even internal audit is happy because they can track and trace everything, which what is going on uh, in, in the office of the CFO. That's the big point. So at the end, teamwork built on that uh, data lake and actionable data. This is what we deliver. I mean, with, with all of that, you're catering to a market need, right? So maybe Nicola, for you, um, how is these cash flow or cash forecasting requirements changing with the availability of data? What are the treasurers and the CFOs and, and the CEOs expecting from these forecasts? So for example, maybe before you just needed to create a forecast, uh, measure against it market, mar month end, you need to be plus or minus, you know, 5%, 1% versus that. Um, now the forecasting processes probably place a lot more emphasis on the, the frequency. You need to have shorter cycles, right? They need to be more precise. You need to extract business insights from that? Like, what, how are those expectations overall changing? Yeah, so um, referring maybe to the, the questions in uh, a couple of minutes ago, like 10 minutes ago, today, the need for faster answers and quicker insights for the top level is higher, uh, higher than ever before. Now, the frequency of those needed answers is also higher. So 
let's say it used to be that the treasury was maybe contacted every month or so by the CFO with a specific question. Today, let's say and on a week to week or maybe even day to day basis, there are new questions coming in from the top management to get answers to. Now, that of course results in a higher frequency of a required analysis. So it's not anymore like just a report that has to be delivered by the end of the week, but more like an in-depth analysis on what is actually consuming or generating cash. Now, of course, there are different drivers, call it the cash flow drivers, that are behind consumption of generate or generating of cash. So organizations want actually a deep down analysis of those cash flow drivers. Are there any trends or any patterns that, that are there? Are there any variables that we, let's say, should move left or right to influence those drivers? So I guess the, the questions that are being asked, the expectation levels of people in the organization are getting higher. The expectation levels of what we can do with the data are getting higher. Um, uh, absolutely. And I think when I was uh, talking about the, the different variables of the macroeconomical environment, I was referring to scenarios. So I think scenario building so uh, building cash flow forecast scenarios is definitely something we've been seeing coming up during the COVID crisis and which is literally mainstream on, uh, let's say, today. Uh, everyone builds now different scenarios, always depending on, on different parameters and different variables. And where before that was done with more simple Excel files, today more and more there's a need for systems to actually accommodate that uh, particular request. And when I finally go to your point on, let's say, extracting data insights or extracting business insights from the forecast, I think you're, you're hitting it on the nail there. Um, five years ago, we're talking about, we generate on a monthly basis a cash flow forecast results or report. Today, we're talking about, I have produced this cash flow forecast and I have seen at the same time that, let's say from my top five suppliers, they've been consistently paid earlier. We have an excess cash that can be, let's say, invested in a dynamic discounting program. So there's really more specific insights, maybe supply chain uh, insights, business insights that can be extracted from the, the forecast process or the forecast analysis that we have done. So I guess this is where the expectation level has really been going to over the last few few years and months. Joy, you seem to me probably in the one additional point working capital insights, right? Because here you back to this business partner role, you can create very attractive returns for your company. At the end you've while uh, managing uh, your working capital, you free up resources. Um uh, you generate capital which can be reinvested to uh yeah grow your company faster. Um, weighted average cost of capital is the topic here. So you need to make sure that you deploy the capital and you don't waste it in in your subsidiaries and then sitting there uh, or lying there around on the bank account as that cash. And so working capital is closely linked to this successful cash flow cost. Well, the, uh, you know, so it just sort of talking to the market in terms of what they're looking for for a cash forecasting solution. They want some kind of pretty basic things. So a lot of companies just want the forecast to be more accurate. They want an increased level of accuracy. 
which makes a lot of sense if you think about you know the the focus and the sort of emphasis on cash management and using the forecast as the blueprint for managing cash. You can't do that with an inaccurate forecast, right? So if you're if you're making those actual decisions based on the forecast, you do need a high level of accuracy. And they also want to extend the horizon of the forecast. So a lot of companies are forecasting at 10, 12 weeks. They want that to be 26 or 52. And that ties in nicely to the sort of the more strategic activities for Treasury, right? They want to be able to see out around the corners what's coming up, where the what are the cash flow trends, what are the liquidity shortfall periods that we need to manage through, right? So that's another big emphasis. And, you know, they want to be able to create a forecast faster to, I think, Nicola's point, right? If you're, if you're using this for managing cash rather than just, you know, generating a report and measuring against it monthly, you need to be able to do it quickly and sort of ad hoc create these forecasts. We're still seeing a lot of companies for their treasury departments are spending 20% or upwards of their time just creating a cash forecast, which is, you know, kind of crazy. And there's probably a couple of components that are driving that one getting the data into the forecast and sort of, you know, sort of a, a, a consistent standardized way, right? So they're looking for better system integrations. And two, they might be bringing in inputs from a lot of different business units or regions, you know, geographically. So I think there's a need in the market and in, in right now for sort of the cash forecast tool to also be a platform for collaboration where the business can go provide inputs, confirm inputs, work together on the creation of a forecast, right? So so the treasury can ultimately be in a better position to manage that liquidity picture. And then probably the last thing that we're seeing definitely a need for is, you know, once again, going back to what the market uses as a blanket term, you know, kind of AI and machine learning within the forecast, which probably isn't really well-defined within the market. Everybody seems to kind of have a different idea of what AI and machine learning really is, but I would sort of sum it up in they're looking for insights that aren't necessarily probably accessible to the user at the at the surface level. They're looking for the tool to provide a deeper level of insight than they'd be able to get just through normal human analysis of the data, right? So I think these are kind of the, the key expectations I'm seeing. All very exciting stuff, for sure. Moving into our last topic that we really wanted to bring to you guys. One thing that doesn't get talked enough in the industry or, or perhaps gets deprioritize until it becomes critical is payment security and, and security overall in the company, right? Uh, fraud is something that perhaps doesn't get as much attention in, in many other industries, but uh, in treasury would be a real concern, right? You're again, lifeblood of the company. The data is obviously very confidential data as well. What are your thoughts on overall, uh, you know, the advancement of technology and data collection, but also protection of that data? Payment security is a really hot topic uh, right now. A strong demand coming in from uh, the CFOs mainly uh, because there are a lot of fraud cases. This email compromise, CEO fraud, uh, fake invoices, all these things. Uh, th this is a nightmare. So CFOs, they want to buy a kind of uh, protection. Yeah? And our recommendation is clean up your processes first. If you have, if you work with 30 banks in 40 countries and you deploy 30 different e-banking tools, you have a lot of manual processes, a lot of different ERP systems involved as well and no control who's authorized to sign what kind of payment. This is a nightmare. So streamline, automate the process and this creates visibility. This is very important. And then second, uh, when you have the process under control, what a surprise, all this data is available in the data lake. And then this is a, a very nice leverage to significantly reduce your fraud risk. 
And uh, there is uh, one solution which we offer. This is unique in the market where we use the data lake, which we have across all of our clients. So give you a very simple example. So we leverage customer intelligence here, right? Uh, in that case, it's not about first step artificial intelligence. I will come to that in a second. First step is customer intelligence. So if there is a supplier which was never paid before out of the overall TIS customer community, or probably this is a red flag, right? Because this is a first time payee, you should carefully check master data. Uh, this is the community effect. If several of our large clients have paid this supplier many times in the last five years, this is a safe supplier. There shouldn't be any uh, compliance workflow. Worst case scenario from a treasury and IT perspective, uh, you're looking for a solution to uh, which creates quick time to value, which significantly reduces your payment fraud. And then there is a supplier and uh, the supplier provides it to tech supplier provides you a toolbox and tells you, well, there is some re pattern recognition, but you need to define the patterns first, the fraud patterns first. Yeah. And you, and the system will start to learn. This is a nightmare scenario. Why? Because this the never ending story. You don't have the patterns available and you create a lot of false positives in the early stage of, of this project. And then uh, you force your accounts payable colleagues to run through these patterns. This is painful and uh, this is not state of the art. So much better to leverage customer intelligence first. And then on the put onto the community data, artificial intelligence, where you have pattern recognition across different tenants. And this is, this is uh, very well perceived. And this is why we see such a strong uh, demand here coming in. Okay. Um, awesome. Maybe to wrap up. So you, you talked a lot about process simplification, rationalization, especially from the banking landscape, maybe from a technology standpoint and to finish on this, John, um, how does technology enables to mitigate that fraud risk or combat it if needed? Uh, what's your view on that? Yeah. I think maybe just to sort of bring some context around the the concern level, I think you're absolutely right that it's not getting as much concern as it deserves. If you look across the survey results the last five years across any sort of research form, you'll see fraud threats are increasing, losses are increasing, the amount of uh, organizations impacted by fraud is, is increasing, right? So, and then companies probably aren't investing in technology quite at the rate that fraud is increasing, which is interesting. But it definitely seems to be something that's on at least the individuals who are closest to its mind, the AP people, the treasury people who are dealing with fraud on a day-to-day -day basis. Because we could see through a lot of survey results and conversations that we've had that, you know, these companies are very much looking to mitigate risk through more operational activities, eliminating manual payments, even outsourcing supplier wire instruction maintenance and things like that, right? To try to take the risk off the, the company's books. But um, I mean, echoing back to what I said before, regardless of all these efforts, you're still seeing fraud threats increasing and losses increasing. So it's not enough. It's it's obviously not enough. There needs to be some sort of technology there that's that's backstopping that process. And I think in our view, you know, the fraudsters are attacking in mass through automation, through sharing of data, through criminal networks, right? All these different sort of methods that are making fraud more and more sophisticated. And so it just makes sense to buy back the same way, <laughs> just with data and automation, right? So that's sort of our approach to fraud mitigation is, you know, first of all, 
getting as much data into the fraud detection tool as possible. And that means, you know, historical payment activity of the company itself. It means community data from a broader community that's, that has a like supplier base. It means tapping into account validation services that are, that are available globally. Some of those that Swift is launching, some of those that are available in the US, right? To just have this holistic data set. Um, because I think the mandate really is to figure out how to mitigate fraud on a global basis. And there's just simply no way to do that without a, a lot of data and then really good sort of detection analysis uh, technology sort of sitting behind that, right? So I think that's about fraud mitigation. And, you know, as far as kind of making the case, which it seems like it's been difficult for treasurers and people people to do, I think there's, you know, probably two things that they, they could lean on is first, the fraud loss, right? You want to you eliminate that. The reputation loss, we've heard a lot of companies come to us and say, hey, you know, we've had some fraud losses. They're not material, 15,000, 20,000. But the main concern is that we have one, we have to report it to the board, <laughs> regardless of how small it is. And companies want to get away from having to do that, the embarrassment, the reputation loss. But also when you're validating stuff up front, you're also eliminating a lot of operational inefficiencies, things like payment returns, right? So you're validating that the accounts look good, the the, the routing information's good, the I-band's good. And then, you know, eliminating a lot of the sort of downfall from that that you're dealing with with payment returns and, you know, suppliers not receiving payments on times and things like that. Very good. Thank you very much for these amazing insights. Um, this is the end of our session. We will put the links to your LinkedIn profiles in the description of this episode. But where should people go if they want to reach out uh, to either one of you or learn more about TIS and the solutions you propose? John, maybe back at you. Yeah, I'd say, as you mentioned before, you know, we're always happy to connect through LinkedIn, have one-on-one -on -one conversations, even if you're just interested in learning more about some of the technologies and processes that we discussed during the podcast. But also feel free to uh, visit our website as well. So that URL is www.tispayments.com. Uh, and there's a lot of good information there, a lot of good success stories, white papers, and things like that as well. Awesome. Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you, gentlemen. 